world has changed since INGOs became prominent actors on the global stage. The current model of INGO seems no longer fit for purpose. The Ringo Social Lab, reimagining the international NGO, brings together group influencers, thinkers, leaders and disruptors from across civil society around the world in the quest to reimagine the role of INGOs and global civil society. In this series we explore the future of global civil society through the lens of the Ringo Project. The podcast series is produced by Disrupt Development, the world's first post-growth innovation academy in global development. Hello, my name is Osayo Jigo. I'm the country director of Amnesty International Nigeria based in Abuja. I've been in the role for about four and a half years now, since April 2017. Proud to this, I was with Oxfam in Nairobi, Kenya in the Pan-Africa program. I will be uh, focusing on leadership from the global south in the development sector with a bit of emphasis on the impact of the sector on women leaders. So quite a lot of um, talk in the last 10 to 15 years has been around um, INGOs moving closer to the ground. Uh, we've seen a move of many of the headquarters of prominent organizations like Oxfam, Action Aid, uh, moving offices to the global south, particularly in Africa. And you find that a lot of discussions has been focused on uh, inclusivity, diversity, and trying to be more representational in terms of the people we serve in the development sector and the people that are leading decision-making in terms of interventions, but also in terms of implementation and delivery. So looking at how the development sector has evolved in the last 15 years, would see that there's greater uh, presence in these countries. But more importantly, we're seeing people who are nationals of those countries heading um, country offices or people from the region, which was not always the case, which has kind of challenged the notion of what an INGO should be or what it should look like, which is also challenging models of leadership that we are seeing from the global south. The main challenge now is how has this evolved to inculcate some of the local realities and the context and cultural understanding of what leadership is. And it's more around values, values, what are the values we place to um, interacting with the people, but also to sharing um, our expertise with the communities that we serve. As a black woman, heading a prominent country office within a broader international um, NGO. One of my experiences has been trying to be heard because it's such a big movement and there's so many things happening. Um, it's very easy for you to blend or want to be like one of the others in um, such a big movement so that you belong. But at the same time, recognizing that your purpose is actually to bring that diverse view, the different opinions which have been formed as a result of your unique um, experiences that has brought you thus far. But the biggest challenge is for 
is expressing it without it appearing combative um, and at the sake of being um, argumentative, um, dismissive of the various uh, things that have worked so well within your organization. Uh, working from the perspective of human rights and how challenging the sector has been in the last few years with all the attacks against human rights defenders, it's always baffling when I enter meeting rooms and people are instantly surprised that it's a woman that is heading the office because they're like, oh my God, it's a dangerous job. You're working in a very complex country and you know, there's so many, there's so much risks um, to your life, to your team. Um, and it's baffling that in 2021, people are still shocked when you enter the room and they are expecting a man. They're pleasantly surprised. So don't get me wrong. They're not, they're not um, upset that it's a woman that comes, but the fact that they are still surprised shows that, um, we, we still have a long way to go in terms of how visible uh, women's leadership is in the sector and the kind of confidence both the community, the policymakers, and even your colleagues within the organization feel when they see women steering the affairs of the organization and taking decisions which they ordinarily think should belong to men. So one of the ways through which I've been able to combat this is by having um, prepared well in advance some of the uh, discussion points that will be flagged out in these meetings. And by also making sure that I have the background information, I have the resources uh, before me um, ahead of any meeting that needs to be had. But I find that this increases my burden of preparation. Even though I have a team, they share and they provide all the necessary support when required. At a personal level, I find that I'm having to put in a bit more time because I know that people will be a bit more critical about decisions I've made, about whether I should be in the room, and about um, what needs to be done and whether I should be part of the group that needs to be making those interventions. And I think this is something that is often missed. The amount of time um, people like us take to make sure we're not misunderstood, um, that the points we're making clearly covers the ground that needs to be addressed. And this is especially so when you are fighting not only um, um, historical uh, patriarchal tendencies, which many institutions have and they are trying to overcome, we're not there yet, but also that the communities expect leadership to look a particular way. So we've made a big shift now, moving people closer to the ground, having leaders, leaders from the global south representing INGOs and developmental actors in various spaces. But there's even a bigger shift required if we need to move people to recognizing that women and women of color have the capacity and the capabilities in order to deliver on the promise, but more importantly, that they have skills and expertise to share, which would benefit the company, benefit the community, benefit the country, benefit the region, and which can be transformative in the way we see 
development as we know it. So these are some of the challenges I would say that um, has made the issue of leadership from um, a feminist perspective um, more difficult to permit within the discourse. The other thing is around the work environment. Um, people expect you to be able to instantly um, resolve an issue in a short period of time. You are in the environment, you know the issues, you know the people. Um, without also looking at the threats that you are facing as a result of being in those environments. In the last few years, a lot of papers and research has gone into what can we do to make the environment, the countries, the regions safer for human rights defenders. And we often neglect those of us that are in the positions of leadership that provide and recommend others for support. Um, so mental health, uh, health insurance, and a few other perks that come with the job are provided. But we are not intentional in ensuring that our leaders, particularly our women leaders, are taking, are making, taking the time off to make use of these resources, but also taking time to share their own experiences in terms of dealing with stress at work, with managing health complications in addition to delivering in very fast-paced and demanding sectors, as well as how this impacts on their personal and professional lives in the short term and as well in the long term. So the way the development sector is evolving needs to also take into cognizance the fact that it's been experienced differently by all of us um, in the sector and would require a bit more intentional seeking uh, rather than just putting everything under the diversity lens or everything under the gender lens, but more in terms of how cultural and um, regional differences do have do create other layers of complexities in trying to find what works for um, a given individual. More so when dealing with um, actors who are away from headquarters, um, there needs to be more deliberate action to capturing those views, impressions, and opinions. I would say that my most fulfilling time as a leader in one of the foremost human rights organization has been the ability to change people's life by using the access we have to policymakers at the international level and regional level to foster a bit of pressure uh, through advocacy on uh, world leaders. But more importantly, we give people hope. We are selling hope. And we need to ensure that the people that sit in these offices also experience that hope, a hope for a better world, but a hope that our institutions, which we are sacrificing and gifting a lot of our time and energy to, would also appreciate it and ensure that they look out for us and keep us safe. And safe is not just about um, fear, freedom from 
all the attacks we face as a result of our work, but safe also in being able to share our opinions without judgment and uh, without fear of being um, labeled difficult, um, and also to recognize the leadership that we bring to the table um, more regularly uh, in an affirmative manner, and also to create that platform for all of us to feel a sense of belonging. That I think would be the necessary shift that we all want to see in the development sector. So when we say inclusivity, we mean it, we see it, and we are it. Thank you. Would you like to learn more about the Ringo Social Lab? Check out the link in the description for more information. Thank you for listening. You listen to the podcast channel of Disrupt Development, the world's first post-growth innovation academy in global development. We work as trusted innovation advisors and thought partners to our clients, working with you to develop customized strategies, launch new initiatives, and improve the impact of your work.